are in the midst of a series called Promise Keeper, and um, even to start off, my name is Phoebe. If we have not met, I am one of the high school pastors here, and uh, over this past Christmas break, did anyone travel for Christmas break? Was anyone going anywhere? You went to Idaho? Anyone else go on a plane? Everyone stayed local for Christmas? Not a single other person went on a plane? That's hard to believe. Well, I went on a plane, and my plan was on December 23rd, I was going to get to Long Beach Airport at like 9 a.m. and get on my flight and head to Nashville where my family lives. And what ended up happening was um, I was grabbing coffee with Julia Matlock. Some of you guys know Julia. And she graduated from HSM last year. And I was grabbing coffee with Julia, and my plan was to get dropped off by a different person, but my flight got canceled right before we were getting coffee. And so I said, Julia, I'm going to need you to bring me to Long Beach Airport because I can't reschedule my flight just from my phone. I need to actually get to the airport. So I ended up going to the airport, and I start to, like, log this on my Instagram. So if you follow me on Instagram, I start, like, uh, updating people because I was like, this is fun. This is going to keep it entertaining. I was also, like, noticing where God was at in the midst of it. But I ended up going from Long Beach Airport. They rebooked me on a flight that flew out of LAX. So they put me in a taxi, drove me to LAX, ended up dropping me off there. And then two more times, flights got canceled. And then finally, I got on a flight that was going to Chicago. So I went to Chicago, landed in Midway. It was like even colder than what I had ever expected to um, experience. And then finally, from Chicago, I flew to Nashville. And then my mom picked me up in Nashville around like 3 a.m. It's almost a 24-hour experience. And it was nuts. But if you had caught me in the middle of that journey on my Instagram story, say you had like only caught the second half of that journey, it probably would have either been pretty confusing or honestly really irrelevant. Like, why does it matter that I'm in Chicago? What was, what was the big deal about that? And it's because in the arc of a story, if you catch it right in the middle, you either don't understand where you're at or it's pretty irrelevant what ends up happening because you don't experience that climax to then see why the ending is such a big deal. And so where we're picking up in this series is we are in week five of six messages through a series we are called, calling Promise, Promise Keeper, talking about how God is a God who makes promises and he keeps them, which is unlike many things we know today. I doubt that any one of you has ever um, gone through life without breaking a promise, but God for all of eternity has never broken a promise. But if I launch into this message without telling you where we've been, you're either going to leave confused or you're going to leave feeling like that was pretty irrelevant. Like, I don't understand why that's such a big deal. So I want to give you where we've been for the past four weeks. So stick with me here. If you've been here each of the weeks, you should be tracking with me. And if you missed one of these, I want you to stay up to date so that you're with us launching into this message. Week one, we talked about Adam. Adam and Eve in the garden, God makes a covenant with them and says, Adam, you are mine. I created you in my image, and so Adam and Eve, you are mine. And Adam and Eve say, well, actually, we don't want to be yours, God. And so we're going to step out of that, and we are going to actually um, decide for ourselves what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil. And so they took the tree, they took the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, And they said, God, I don't want to be yours anymore. And then this is where, from the point from there on, this is where we get the redemption story. 
So God sets apart, sets into motion this plan that he has to bring all of humanity back into his. Like God says, I want to bring you to me. I want you to be mine again. And so I'm going to create a way and only this way for you to be able to be mine again. And so from this point on, God sets, sets in motion this redemption plan to set his covenant right again with Adam. He said, Adam, you are mine, but you stepped out of that, and so now I'm going to have to create a plan in order for you to be mine again. And so here we go, Noah. Noah is our, our next covenant. He makes a covenant with Noah. If you know the stories from the Bible, it's the story of Noah building an ark, and he brings his whole family on the ark, and he brings animals and livestock. You know this story. And God sends a flood, and he wipes out all of humanity except for Adam. Sorry, except for Noah. I did that when I gave that message. Those two names are so similar to me. Uh, Noah, he, he saved Noah and his family, and he saved just those animals and livestock that he put on the boat. And God said, I'm not giving up on you. He said, I'll never start over. God said, I promise that this is the place upon which this redemption story will unfold, and this is the humanity through which the redemption story will unfold. And so then we get to Abraham. Abraham is the one who actually um, is, is the one who has promised that there is going to be a multitude of people that come from Abraham. And so Abraham is like the beginning of this family of Israel. He's like the father of Israel. And from there, every, everyone in Israel, the, the people of God have been chosen. God says, I'm not going to just choose all of humanity. I'm going I'm to choose specifically Abraham and his family to bring about my redemption plan. And then we get to Moses, and Moses is promised. I'm gonna, God, God says, I'm going to bring my redemption plan through these people, through these Israelites. Moses was an Israelite. But specifically, I'm going to bring about my redemption plan, not just anywhere on earth, but specifically the promised land, which is the place in which we now consider Israel. And so from here, God says, these are the people, this is the place, and this is the story that will unfold. And of course, we know that all of these things do come true. But before we get there, I'm going to be talking about a covenant God made with David. This is the, f the fifth of six covenants God makes throughout the Bible. And the time that passes between Moses, who's the one who parts the Red Sea, and then he wanders in the wilderness, and then finally he's the one um, to point the Israelites to the promised land. He doesn't get to touch it. He just gets to see it. 300 years after Moses, after the people of Israel are settled in the promised land, David comes on the scene. And King David is the one who takes down the, um, like the Goliath, the, the Philistine giant, with a little pebble because he was a shepherd boy. And he, was, um, and he, he had great uh, skill in taking down lions and tigers and bears. So he took down this giant. He ends up being named as God's anointed king. And we have the book of Psalms that were written by him. These are mostly his prayers, his praises, um, his confusion with God, his frustration, because he had a life that was pretty chaotic. But God makes a covenant with David. And we're going to be picking up in this story and looking at this covenant. David says to God, God, ever since, uh, ever since 
really Moses, there's been a tabernacle, meaning there's been a place in which God dwells that moves with the people of Israel so that when they were on the move, wandering in the wilderness, the, the presence of God would move with them in the holy of holies, in the tabernacle. It was like a, it was a, a large object literally that they would carry around. It was the presence of God that would be able to move. And because that was the, because they didn't have a place that they had settled. And so David said, God, we're settled now. Like, we're in the promised land. I'm the king of Israel. I'm your chosen one, your anointed one. God, can I make you a permanent place to dwell so that our people can go and could visit your presence, can make sacrifices to atone for their sin? Can there be a place where you dwell for good? And so this is David's plea. He says, God, can I do this for you? I want to do this for you. And, and God says to him, no, wait. He says, you can make the plans for it and you can dream it up, but it won't be you who actually builds it. He says, it's, it's not going to be the one, because David was a warrior. He was, he was in battle constantly. And so God says, no, I don't want a, a warrior, a king of war, to be the one to, to build my temple, to build my dwelling place. I'm going to have your son do that. And so build, make the plans for it, set it aside. And after you die, your son will get to build that. And this is what God says, though, that will happen, that David will get to experience. We're going to be in 2 Samuel. You can flip through your Bibles. 2 Samuel. Second Samuel is towards the front of the Bible. First and second Samuel are the story of of Israel in in the time of when of when David was king, like a little bit before and then a little bit after. So we're in Second Samuel chapter seven. And I'm gonna be reading verses twelve through sixteen, and I have three different things that three promises that God makes to David. 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 to 16. I'll read this. It says, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, meaning you'll die, because, like, your fathers are buried, so he's going to be buried with his fathers. So, when you, your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, who is the king before David." whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Would you guys pray for me to ask God for the blessing of his word? Lord, thank you for giving us your word. God, thank you for yeah, giving us the story of um, your people, the people who you brought redemption through. Lord, would we consider David's story and the promise that you made to him and consider um, and feel the weight of the beauty that you continued to keep your promise to him and to us through these days. In your name we pray. Amen. 
in these verses, under your seat, you're going to see a little card that has these three promises in 2 Samuel. And these are the three promises. The three promises that we see in 2 Samuel is first, a king from the line of David. A king from the line of David. It says in verse 12, I read it again. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, you shall, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. God is saying to David, it is going to be from you, like f- your son, from you that there will be a king, which some of you are like, yep, isn't that how it goes, right? Like um, Queen Elizabeth dies and Prince Charles is king now. Um, and that's how it goes in England is the, the next in line is the son or even the, the daughter if they only have daughters in England. But that was not how it went in these days. In fact, this was the first time, never before, had Israel had a, a king who came to power because his father was in power. And so this is the first time that God is saying, yes, David, because I have anointed you as king, the next in line will be your son. Um, And so this is the first promise, which that might sound irrelevant to you right now, but hopefully it won't by the end of this message. The second promise is disciplined but not rejected. It says in verses 14 to 15, I'll skip 13 and we'll come back. 14 to 15, it says, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity... Like when he commits sin, when he commits something that is, is not right in the eyes of God, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. So he says, yes, there will be punishment for sin, but my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, Saul who I put away from before you. He says, yes, there will be discipline, but I will not reject him when your heir when the, per, when the one who comes next in line sins, there will be discipline for him. He will not just get away with it. But I will not reject him. Because what, what happened here was Saul was a king that the people said, we want him. He was like a really tall guy. He was an attractive man. He was a bat, like a warrior in battle. And they said, yeah, that looks like the type of person we want to lead our nation. And so they said, we want this guy. They didn't wait for God's anointed one. So what happened was God said, I'll give it to you, but you are going to fall. You're, going to, you're not going to do well under his leadership because he's not a, a, an anointed one of God. And so, indeed, that happened. And God said, in order to save these people, I'm going to take my presence from Saul, and I'm going to bring my presence to David. And that's when David was anointed king. And so what God is saying is, I will never do that to your offspring. I will be with them. I will not reject them. I will discipline them, but I will not reject them. This third promise here is his kingdom will reign forever. And we see this in verses 13 and then later in 16. It says this, he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And then again in 16 it says, and your house Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And so the promise here is that the throne of David, like David's lineage and line, his his kingship that will go through his sons and his sons and his sons' sons and his sons' sons' sons, that will last forever is God's promise to David. And so what we're going to see here is I want to tell you how 
David's son, his name is Solomon, he partially fulfills uh, this covenant, right? We see that the promise is partially fulfilled through Solomon, but later we're going to see that the promise is completely fulfilled by Jesus. And so here we see that, of course, promise number one, a king from the line of David. Indeed, Solomon becomes king, and he's David's son. So check, done, easy. That's like easy, that promise was fulfilled. So that promise, first promise was fulfilled. Solomon was David's son. Check, awesome. God, God keeps his promises. Second one is, is the promise that he will be disciplined but not rejected. It is, it is true that through the stories of Solomon, Solomon sinned greatly. In fact, Solomon is known to have had a thousand concubines, meaning a thousand mistresses that he would sleep with. One thousand women. Unbelievable. And one of God's requirements, one of the, the commandments he has, is he says, you will have one wife. So Solomon, um, multiplied by that by a thousand, rejects God. Okay, so Solomon sinned. And that's, not just, that's just one example of the ways that he sinned. But he was a sinner. And yet God did not reject him. It says in Psalm 89, verses 30 to 37, I'll read it for you. Imagine, this is Solomon's father speaking this over him. This psalm was written by David. And I I imagine Solomon would have read this in his darkest night and held on to this as truth. It says, if his sons forsake my law, this is God speaking, if his sons, it's like speaking to Solomon, if my sons forsake my law and do not follow my statutes, if they violate my decrees and fail to keep my commandments, as Solomon did, I will punish their sin with the rod, their iniquity with flogging, but I will not take my love from him, nor will I ever betray my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter what my lips have uttered. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness, and I will not lie to David, that his line will continue forever and his throne endure before me like the sun. It will be established forever like the moon, the faithful witness in the sky. That must have been so weighty for Solomon to read. Yes, he knew that I was a sinner. He knew that I would be a sinner. And yet he said, I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. And then in the second half of the psalm, it does say, and his throne will last forever. Which this is the part that gets a little fishy because the kingdom did last for a long time. It lasted 400 years, which is a very long time. Does anyone know how old the United States of America is? One million years old? (laughs) No. (laughs) How many years? 200, 120, 227, 227. I believe that. I didn't know the answer. Um, Something like that. The United States is younger than, for sure younger than the the age of Israel um, from David to the time that it fell. So it was a very long time, lasted 400 years. But there was a point in which, and it's recorded in 2 Kings chapter 25, when the kingdom of Israel fell to the Babylonians, fell to an enemy, 
And in fact, the fall of the Jer- Jerusalem happened where they destroyed the temple and they destroyed the ro- walls of Jerusalem. They just took it over and they even took captive the people of Israel. So that's just 400 years after David. And I imagine people who knew this scripture, the Israelites, would have been like, wait, what? I thought this kingdom was going to last forever. What's going on here? And so, of course, then 600 years after that, we come to Jesus, who we know is going to completely fulfill these promises. And so I'll go one, two, three with the promises again. First, from the line of David. We see in Matthew and Luke that there is, wow, these slides are so light. I'm so sorry, you guys, if this is hard to read. But there's going to be a slide with, like, the, the lineage. And, yeah, so this is the one from... I think this is the one in Luke. Um, But this is the lineage from Abraham to Jesus. And as we see, we have David, and then we have Solomon, his son. And it continues through all of the sons to Jesus. And so we know that if you track Jesus all the way back, father to father to father to father, we get all the way to David. And so this promise that there will be a king from the line of David is fulfilled. If Jesus Christ is king, like the king of all kings, that was fulfilled, that he indeed was, um, yeah, he indeed was from the line of David. The second promise is um, disciplined but not rejected. And when I was looking at scripture, I was like, wait, I don't know, was, like, but Jesus didn't sin, So, like, if he didn't sin, how is he disciplined and not rejected? And so this second promise was hard for me at first to kind of reconcile. And then I was reading some commentaries, and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is the best one of all, because, in fact, the sins of the world were placed on Jesus. He was the representation of, he actually didn't just represent sin, he took on all of our sins, and he didn't get away with it. He was disciplined. He took the punishment. And this is the language of he took the punishment of sin, which is death, and he took it to the grave. He actually died. He was dead for three days. He was in the grave. And so he was disciplined. And then, as we know the story, he was not rejected. God's love did not depart from him. He raised from the dead, and he actually even ascended into heaven. And so the sins of the world were placed on his shoulders. He was disciplined by taking on the punishment of death fully. But he was not rejected by God. Mercy triumphed over judgment. And of course, we know that he ascended into heaven, which means that the point three, his kingdom will reign forever. Jesus will reign forever. The throne, this idea that the throne is going to last forever is such a beautiful image because a throne is, is the seat of power. It's, it's also a seat of ease. It's a comfortable seat when you picture a throne. It's a seat where the person who's sitting in it is in control. They're not at war. If they were at war, they would have a a shield and a sword, and they'd be ready for battle. No, a king that is in his throne is not at war. But he is conducting business. If you've ever seen Prince's Diaries, you know the scene where I know when, when um, the princess, what's her name, Marie, 
Maria, I don't remember her name. I love that movie. Uh, and she's like conducting business. Like the, the, the peasants are coming with their chickens and they're like flying all over the place. If you haven't seen it, you should. I probably have it on DVD somewhere. And um, it's, it's just this moment where she's actually conducting business. A, a ruler, a king or a queen would have conducted business from their throne, which I want you to imagine Jesus sitting on his throne. He's comfortable. He's in control. But he's also not sitting back and just watching it happen. He's engaged. He's hearing you out when you come to him. You can approach the throne of God with confidence because you know he's going to hear your requests. And he's looking out for you. In Luke chapter 1, verse 31 to 33, an angel comes to Mary, Jesus' mother, before Jesus is born, and he, he shares the good news with Mary. He says, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom and of his kingdom, there will be no end. In Mark chapter 16, verse 19, it says that, So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, this is the last words he says to his disciples. After he's died, raised from the dead, he's about to ascend. It says that after he had spoken to them, his disciples, Jesus was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus is sitting on his throne, a throne and a kingdom that will last forever. When I was in, when I was in LAX airport, bring it back to me, with, with me to, to Christmas break. So I'd already been to Long Beach airport. Taxi drove me to, uh, to LAX. And at LAX, there was about uh, like a four six to six hour delay of our plane Apparently, it was too cold in Chicago for us to even get up into the air because they were afraid we couldn't land. And so there was like a four-hour delay. And for that entire four-hour delay, our pilot sat in his seat. You could see the plane. I have a photo of the plane. And you can't really see it well, but you see, you see like the little man in, that, in, his, in like white with like a black tie. He sat in his seat for like four hours. And I remember sitting there and I started to get weepy because I was like, this man believes that our flight is going to take off. We are seeing left and right flights were getting canceled. People weren't going to get be able to get out for like five or six days after Christmas. And I was just feeling the weight of like, I just want to spend Christmas with my family. I don't have any family out here. And I was like, I know like 100 people from church would take me in, but it's just not the same. I want to be with my mom. I want to be with my dad. I want to be with my sisters. I don't want to be here. I want to be in Nashville. And I was sitting there and I was like, are we going to get out? What if we don't get out? And this pilot sat in his seat for the four-hour delay. It was just like this communication of like, we're getting out of here. I'm not giving up on this flight. I'm not, because I think that if he had gotten up and he was like walking around the terminal, I think it would communicate to me, I think he's giving up. Like he just wants to go home. He wants to get back to his bed. Like he, he's, he does not want this flight to take off. He doesn't care. In the similar way, Jesus, the King of Kings, from the line of David, who was rejected for the sins that he bore, and yet he was, he was disciplined, but he was not rejected. That Jesus, he sits on the throne in heaven and says, I have not given up on these people. I have not given up on you.
although you sin, my love does not depart from you. I'm going to sit in my seat, in my seat of power, of control, because I believe that there is good ahead. I believe that there is truth in this story of the redemption plan, that Jesus sits on his throne in power, in control. He has not given up on you. Through all of your failings, through all of the disappointment, even through all of the success that you have experienced that you thought you did on your own, through every sleepless night that you've had, through all of the anxiety attacks that you bear in your soul, through all of the loneliness that you experience, God sits on his throne and he says, I have not rejected you. I sit on my throne having taken the weight and the punishment of your sin and I am beckoning you closer and saying, come to the feet of the one who holds all the answers you have ever dreamed of, who holds all of the healing you have ever needed, who holds all of the forgiveness that he is pouring out on you right now. That Jesus sits on his throne with confidence and control. And it is that Jesus that we get to respond in praise. So I'm going to invite Nikki up here to close us in some worship. I'm going to pray for you if you would stand and receive this prayer. God, thank you so much that you sit on your throne in power, that nothing will ever knock you off of your throne. We know that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor height nor depth could ever keep the love of God from us. And so, God, we just ask you to draw closer right now. Would we feel your presence and experience your presence in our lives? And, God, would we trust even just an inkling more today that you are worth trusting as the God who is on his throne in power in control and who hears us and loves us and who has taken on the punishment of sin and yet was not rejected. God, thank you that you sit on your throne in power, that nothing will ever knock you off your throne. In your name we pray. Amen.